Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Robert Knight, Ph.D., who is director of the Howard T. Odom Florida Springs Institute. We will discuss the impacts to Florida Springs due to groundwater withdrawals. Bob is also the founder of the Howard T. Odom Florida Springs Institute, quote, a nonprofit program dedicated to supporting science and education necessary for restoration and wise management of Florida's artesian springs, unquote. He is an environmental scientist with more than 38 years of professional experience in Florida, including detailed ecological studies at more than 20 large springs. He is a former adjunct professor at the University of Florida Department of Environmental Engineering and Sciences, where he taught graduate-level classes on the ecology of Florida springs and wetlands. Bob, welcome. Hello. Good morning. Let's start. At the very beginning, when we say springs, what are we talking about? What exactly is a spring? Well, the simplest definition is a spring is anywhere where groundwater comes to the surface of the earth. So a spring is anywhere where water comes out of the ground through some kind of hole or cavity through the soil and rock and comes to the surface of the earth. And that is because of pressure underground that's making the water go up from its source. Is that right? That's right, but it's actually water always flows downhill. So it's not, uh, well, in some cases with the artesian springs, it does boil up. Um, the way the aquifer works in Florida is we have several thousand feet of limestone uh, underneath the soils that we all see and the surface of the earth in Florida, uh, that limestone was formed under millions of years, the last 30 to 40 million years, when Florida was submerged under the ocean uh, in the past. And the limestone, every time it's exposed to the air and the level of the ocean has gone up and down numerous times, uh, it's going up again, um, but uh, the Whenever the ocean has been lower and the uh, limestone has been exposed to the air and the rain, uh, that rain is acidic. It has a low pH that actually dissolves the limestone. And so the limestone is riddled with uh, caves and conduits and pores and passages uh, that hold water. When uh, Florida is above the ocean, that water is fresh, and the fresh water is from rain, all of it comes from rain, and the middle of Florida is higher than the coast of Florida by several hundred feet, and uh, that rain falling in the middle of the state uh, fills that groundwater aquifer, this uh, storage of groundwater uh, in the limestone, and puts pressure on it. So wherever that aquifer then is reconnected to the atmosphere, which it is uh, at our springs, and our springs are essentially sinkholes. They're holes in the limestone that, uh, where there's enough pressure in the aquifer to push water out of the aquifer at those points. And so Florida has over a thousand, about almost 1,100 documented artesian springs. Those are springs that are responding to pressure in the aquifer. What's the difference between an artesian spring and a regular spring, or is there one? Well, there's basically two types of springs. There's seepage springs where, uh, say, a hillside uh, obviously receives water at the top of the hill, and uh, some of that water soaks into the ground and will come out at the bottom of the hill. And that's just a gravity-based spring. It's a spring where water is indeed flowing downhill and daylighting uh, through maybe into a creek or some water body at the bottom of the hill. That's that's a seepage spring, but that's not – most springs in the world are seepage springs. In fact, there's millions and millions. But artesian springs are different because the pressure in the aquifer is carried all the way to the, from the middle of the state out to the edges of the state. And uh, so most of our springs are closer to the coast. They're along big rivers. Um, and they're only in the areas of the state where the limestone is near the surface, where it's exposed, where you have sinkholes and you have um, 
it's called a karst landscape, a landscape where the underlying rock can actually dissolve like limestone does. It's called karst, and those areas are where our springs are. And that is mainly in central and northern Florida. Do I understand correctly? No, it's actually uh, the limestone is under the whole state of Florida. Uh, Florida is on this uh, limestone platform that is much bigger than the state of Florida. It extends into the Gulf of Mexico by about 150 miles. It extends east and under the Atlantic Ocean for a distance, and it extends under all of Florida all the way down to the Keys and further the limestone down there. And uh, it actually, uh, that limestone extends all the way up across the coastal area of Georgia into South Carolina and westward into Alabama and Mississippi and their coastal plain. Uh, the, the aquifer that uh, is called the Floridan Aquifer is enormous. It's 100,000 square miles and in, in underlies all of Florida and a large part of Georgia, some South Carolina and Alabama and Mississippi. So uh, there is limestone, but there aren't the same kind of springs elsewhere than in North Florida from about Interstate 4 from Tampa to Orlando. That's pretty much the southern extent of major springs in Florida. And, and then they extend all the way up to the Georgia line and, and west into the Panhandle. So the springs that we're talking about today are mainly north of I-4. Correct. And they're, they're the freshwater Springs. There are some saltwater springs, saltier springs further south. Uh, for example, Warm, Warm Mineral Springs is a very deep spring, over 200 feet deep, that um, receives uh, very salty water uh, down in Sarasota County. And uh, there's a few springs down there. Of course, there were springs along the Miami River. There's the town of Coral Springs. You know, there's springs is in the name of a lot of places that no longer have springs. Um, and so, but North Florida is where our freshwater springs are located. It's about actually almost two thirds of the state. Uh, the aquifer is fresh enough that it, it um, feeds these freshwater springs, these beautiful crystal clear springs that are blue under their natural conditions and and just lovely attractions uh, for humans. And the state of the springs is in trouble would that be a good description well as a lot of environmental parts of florida a lot of the environmental resources of florida of course are threatened by um, the extent of human development in the state and that of course has been increasing over the years our population is over 20 million now and we have you know millions more um, tourists coming to the state and so the human um, toll on the environment is, is widespread, as you know, from North Florida to South Florida and all the way out to the Panhandle. Uh, coastal areas tend to have a population, um, higher populations, and they tend to be more impacted. And then, But even the interior of the state is, is impacted by various types of development. And the springs are in an area that's less developed generally than South Florida, uh, but they there were many springs around Tampa in the past, and there were quite a few springs up as far as Jacksonville, and there's a lot around Gainesville. So these are areas of the state that are uh, populated and uh, developing rather rapidly, and that is indeed taking a toll on the um, natural function and uh, beauty of North Florida Springs. And the bulk of the population, the urban centers, for lack of a better description, if we look at the population of the state, most of the urban centers, most of the big pockets of population are in Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, and the Tri or Quadri County area of southeast Florida. Mm-hmm. And yet the springs, which are not necessarily where the largest pocket, which is South Florida, is located, 
are still being are, are still under threat. Part of that is the agriculture and the pumping of the water. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Um, so the aquifer is fed by rain, as I indicated, and there's a certain amount of rain that Florida gets, and we know we're essentially a rainy state. If you look at the states in the country, we're one of the, the one one of the ones that receives the most rain. On average, it's about 50 inches of rain a year falls across Florida, um, although there are years which, with much less and years with more. Um, that A fraction of that water, about 6% of the rain falls on Florida and the other parts of the Florida aquifer actually soaks down into the limestone and replenishes the aquifer. And that's a that's a finite amount of water. Uh, it's a lot of water. This is one of the most productive uh, groundwater systems in the whole world. Uh, it adds up to about uh, 12 billion gallons every day on average of water is recharged in the aquifer. And under natural conditions, that groundwater uh, flowed out of the aquifer at the springs. In other words, it's a container. The aquifer's got a, a finite volume and when a certain amount of rain goes in, it fills eventually, and, and it's been full for thousands of years, many thousands of years, and, uh, and it flows out through the holes in the aquifer, which are the springs, uh, flows to the coast and down our rivers. It feeds all our rivers in North Florida. They're all, all fed by spring flow. Um, and so what's happened that's different is that tw- the flow of all the springs was about 12 billion gallons a day on average in the past. Well, it's declining because of groundwater pumping, and we're currently pumping uh, between us and Georgia primarily. Uh, we're pumping about four billion gallons a day of that groundwater. So the uh, fl- the historic flow of the springs has declined roughly by four billion gallons a day. Uh, in Florida, it's about three billion gallons a day of that is occurring in Florida, and so the springs have lost a significant amount of their flow, and uh, that has effects on the ecology, um, the vegetation, the animals that live in the springs, and the recreational use of the springs. So um, groundwater is where all of Florida gets its its drinking water. Uh, So Florida pumps over the whole state about six or eight billion gallons a day of groundwater, and... um, about half of that's pumped for these cities and, and people, and the other half is really pumped for agriculture and industry. Not sure I'm following the numbers. The total number of groundwater that is being pumped in Florida a day is how much? Uh, well, the number that I gave you is between is for the whole Florida aquifer. It's about four billion gallons a day is being pumped uh, from. Uh, the Florida aquifer. Uh, there are other aquifers in Florida. Uh, for example, South Florida is on the Biscayne aquifer. Uh, West Florida, West the Panhandle of Florida is on the Sand and Gravel aquifer. And then there's other coastal shallow groundwater aquifers that are used. But the majority of the water in the state is is coming from groundwater. It doesn't all come from the same aquifer that feeds the springs. And so that's that's confusing. That's a concept you have to get your arms around. But pretty much the, all the pumping north of Lake Okeechobee in Florida um, out to Pensacola is from the Florida aquifer. And that in Florida is about nearly 3 billion gallons a day on average from the Florida aquifer that feeds the springs. Are these aquifers interconnected? Are they completely separate? Uh, well, the Floridan is named the Floridan all the way up into Georgia and South Carolina because it is an interconnected aquifer. Like I said, the 100,000 square miles of the Floridan aquifer is interconnected. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, the portion of the Floridan aquifer in South Florida is full of salt water. It's not. It doesn't feed the springs. It's um, it's deeper under the ground surface. And uh, over that are younger geologic formations that are used for drinking water supply in South Florida, like the Biscayne Aquifer. That's younger limestone 
that formed later in you know geologic time and uh also holds water and that is the water supply for like the Miami area for example so uh but the aquifers the various aquifers that have different names are not interconnected typically but the for example the Florida aquifer is interconnected so it doesn't really matter where you put a well into the fresh water portion of the Florida aquifer it it pulls water out of the aquifer that otherwise would come out of a spring. So any well, and there are millions of individual wells uh, tapping the water in the Florida aquifer, any of those wells, uh, when you turn your faucet on and you fill a glass of water, that is a glass of water that would otherwise have come out of the spring. So the 3 billion gallons of water that is pumped a day from the Florida aquifer in Florida, where is that water going? Uh, well, it's being used. Uh, it's being uh, a lot of it's being evaporated. About uh, three fourths of it is being evaporated on use. I mean, it's it's what we ingest. It's what we do our laundry with. It's what uh, we water our lawns and our landscaping with, and it's what we irrigate our crops with, um, and it's what we. Uh, used for commercial industrial uses like bottling, water bottling, uh, like making Coca-Cola, making beer. All that is, is coming from groundwater. So um, some of it, a, a fraction of it, finds its way back to the aquifer. In other words, it's discharged as uh, wastewater from human wastewater treatment plants. Um, some of the agricultural irrigation seeps back into the ground. Um, and some of the landscape irrigation goes back into the ground. But overall, like I said, about three-fourths of it uh, doesn't make it back to the aquifer. What percentage of that is going out of state? Uh, well, that's a good question. We don't know that. Um, there, there's possibly about four million, so a thousand less than a billion, four million gallons a day being bottled in Florida, put in plastic bottles and sent somewhere. But we don't have a good idea of where. I, I've never seen a summary of you know, where that's going. Um, so that um, most very little of our water is going out of state. It's very interesting, actually, because as you probably know, Florida is in this water war, they call it, with Georgia and Alabama about uh, the Flint and the Apalachicola rivers, uh, the water that flows into the western end of the state, the surface water is coming through Georgia first, and Georgia is pulling a bunch of that water out and using it, and so it never comes down the river. Well, interestingly, um, a large part of the spring flow in Florida comes from Georgia. Uh, it's recharged in south Georgia, this area of the Florida aquifer in Georgia, has a good recharge area. And while they are increasing their consumption of that water, which is adding to our reduction of spring flows, uh, we've essentially been getting that water from Georgia forever. And uh, so it's we're in an interesting position in terms of cross-state uh, issues. But uh, we don't spend much of our groundwater that's coming out in Florida that's being pumped in Florida to Georgia or anywhere else. It's a very small fraction that's bottled and goes out of the state. The portion that is being, I read recently that just at one location, they are pumping, is it a million gallons a day? This latest uh, controversy? Yeah. Well, well, Nestle uh, has uh, spring water that they bottle from several springs around the state, and they just recently bought a springs bottling plant near the Santa Fe River, just a few miles from where I'm sitting in High Springs. Um, they bought a plant, and, and they uh, just received a approval for a permit for a million gallons a day, roughly uh, over 0.9 or 900,000 some gallons a day. So that's that's one bottling plant. Uh, Nestle bottles water in Hillsborough County from uh, Crystal Springs. Um, they bottle water in Madison County from Madison Springs, Madison Blue Springs. Uh, and they have other uh, bottling facilities, but uh, so 
that has been in the news a lot lately, that, you know, one more bottler is going to take the spring water away from the springs and is going to put it in plastic bottles and send it somewhere and sell it. Um, so, yeah, that's a big issue. So is that an exaggeration? If we look at the total number of $4 billion that you were talking about earlier and the $4 million that is actually being bottled, are these stories that we're seeing in the media of water, groundwater that's being bottled from Nestle, um, and I think now they've sold that company to someone else? They're in the process of selling it now. Yeah. Okay. So is this an exaggeration, or is this really an issue that should be of concern to Florida residents, Florida citizens? Yeah. Oh, it's definitely an issue that should be of concern. The, the, the principle is that groundwater is a public resource in Florida. We have uh, very progressive laws that say everybody owns the groundwater in Florida. It's uh, people have the right to t- tap into it, to put a private well in and tap that water for their personal uses. But it's really questionable that people have the right to pump that water out and then just sell it uh, at no cost to themselves. And um, that that's the issue that bottled water is um, symbolic of the fact that we're giving our water away in the state for commercial enterprises, and bottled water is just one of many commercial enterprises. Most of the water, the groundwater that's being given away to businesses is actually to agriculture. Agriculture doesn't have to pay for the water. Um, and the quantities of water are much greater than the quantities being used by for bottled water. But the downside of bottled water is that none of it really goes back into the ground uh, to recharge the aquifer, um, and it's... Um, and the plastic associated with it, those those things are upsetting. Um, and every gallon, like I said, every gallon, even a million gallons a day, is a lot of water for a spring. Um, our springs are very in size, and some of them only put out a million or two gallons a day. Others put out a lot more than that. But every use of water that is not in the public's best interest should be prohibited and can be prohibited uh, by law, and yet the state doesn't do that. They issue these permits as if there's no end on how much water that we have, how much groundwater that we have. I have a question from a listener about this. She says, I quote, I would like to know who has the power to change the rules that make the St. John's River Water Management District think they had to approve this request from Nestle? the legislature, the governor, or did the governing board really have the authority to deny this request all along, and we just need the governor to appoint better people to the governing board, unquote? Um, Well, it's Swanee River Water Management District for that specific permit, so uh, not St. John's. There's five water management districts in Florida that are divided up based on surface water Resources. So the St. John's River Water Management District um, is uh, over the eastern, northeastern part of the state, including Orlando and Jacksonville. The South Florida Water Management District covers uh, everything from Lake Okeechobee South. Uh, the Southwest Florida covers uh, Southwest Florida up through Tampa, uh, all the way up into Levy County. And then uh, the Suwannee River Water Management District uh, covers the area of the Suwannee River and the Santa Fe River is a tributary to the Suwannee River and this particular, this latest permit uh, that Nestle has been issued uh, is from the Suwannee River Water Management District. Uh, Yes, the Water Management District has the ability to deny permits. That's what they're set up to do. Uh, That is not what they've done historically. They have essentially issued it's pretty much every permit request that uh, was for a business of any kind, a ruling that it was in the public's interest to uh, to help these businesses. And uh, they, uh, so why do they do that? Well, it, they are very politically driven. They're appointed, um, the executive director and the whole governing board of each water management district is appointed by the governor of the state of Florida. And the governor of the state of Florida is... Um, uh, and, and has 
strongly supported by business interests in Florida, which uh, obviously that controls a lot of politics in Florida. So these water management districts are supposed to be independent of that to a certain extent, but they're not real in reality. And uh, the politics are that businesses get what pretty much what they ask for. The answer to the question about the ability of the water management districts to refuse a permit is they clearly have the ability to do so. That was the whole purpose of the water management districts when they were put into law in the 1970s. Uh, they can um, deny any permit based on it not being in the public interest. And unfortunately, that has not been a test that's been applied. It's required in the law. But the public interest test allows them to deny any permit that is going to be harmful to the environment or to the public at large. Someone listening to our conversation might say if there are 12 billion gallons of rain a year falling on Florida, is this really a problem? Is this having an effect? Is this hurting Florida and its citizens in any way? That's a good. It's a good question, and it's very important for people to understand that that it does. If um, Florida is a land of flowers, uh, named by the Spanish uh, conquerors and the first adventurers to Florida, this is the land of flowers. Florida is known for its vegetation, its lakes, its rivers, its coastal areas, its estuaries, its wonderful fisheries. Um, and all of those systems are dependent on water, uh, and they are were beautiful and healthy and pristine when before we were using a very large share of the water uh, that uh, falls on the state of Florida. Um, so, 12 billion gallons a day over a thousand springs is you know uh, that's pretty good flow at the springs, but that is the water that fed all our rivers. Uh, that is the water that fed the springs, first of all. Uh, Silver Springs, uh, right in the heart of Florida, right in Marion County, north or east of Ocala, was the largest spring in the world uh, at one time in terms of long-term average flow. Uh, and it's because we have that rain and we have that recharge um, in these karst and limestone areas. Um, but it was the main tourist attraction for Florida for 100 years uh, before the Disney uh, and the modern uh, tourism-type uh, activities. Uh, and But it's not the same anymore. So what happens when a spring loses 30% of its flow? That The springs of Florida have lost over 30% of their average flow. And during a dry year, they've lost a large part of their flow, and they stopped flowing. Some of even large springs stopped flowing. Um, so what happens when, when what do we lose if we lose a third of our of our lifeblood for the springs? Well, imagine what you would lose if you lost thirty percent of the body, of the blood in your body. Um, that's the best analogy that people can picture. Is uh, take out you know thirty percent of the blood in a human, and you you're dying if you're not dead. Uh, and that's what's happening to our springs is. This flow, this flow of adequate groundwater is the lifeblood of the springs. Uh, and, you know, well, a thousand springs, are we going to let those go? Even though it's the greatest congregation of springs in the world, I guess you could say, well, development is more important than the springs. Well, what do the springs do? All that water from the springs goes into our rivers. And literally, the Santa Fe River stopped flowing uh, because of groundwater pumping and because of a drought, when you combine those two things, the Santa Fe River stopped flowing and uh, became just a cesspool of algae because of the other, other issue of development, which is excessive nutrients going into our groundwater. So, um, yeah, Florida could be a dried-up, dead state uh, covered with condominiums, and and I I would question who's going to move to Florida under those conditions. Uh, do we really want Florida to look like the middle of New York City, you know, where there aren't any springs? Well, of course, we have many people coming from places like New York City. So they that's not necessarily a bad thing when they hear that. 
but there has to be a source for the water in those cities. And in addition to the Florin aquifer, there are other aquifers. But what I'm hearing you say is it's not enough. Well, it's actually too much. What we're taking is, is too much. The science that the water management districts have actually been doing and that we've been doing at the Florida Springs Institute indicates that you can reduce the average flow in a spring by about 5%, 5% rather than 30%, and maintain a spring, the health of a spring, adequate health in a spring. But when you start getting beyond 5% on average, uh, of course that's magnified during drought periods when there's less water recharging the aquifer and less water coming out of the springs just because of rainfall changes. Um, you, you start hurting a spring to the point where you start lo- losing the fish populations, you start losing uh, the animals, you start losing the vegetation, and uh, the springs change. And many people that are moving to Florida still are enamored by the idea that Florida is a beautiful state, a state of water, a state of lakes, rivers, and springs. Um, and almost everybody uh, that comes to North Florida knows that one of the really great things about North Florida is the springs. So, uh, you know, we Floridian, Floridians love the Everglades, and they up north they love the springs. Um, they don't want to see them go away. Uh, that would be that would be dreadfully harmful for that reason alone. And then you have you know things like manatees that are totally dependent on springs during the winter time um, in North Florida. You're going to lose those too, and um, which you know <laughs> we already are due to pollution. Um, people will not move to Florida for its natural environment if the natural environment is totally eroded. Is the point? What is the role or the interaction of water sourcing for the urban centers? That's another topic. I realize that, but these things are all interconnected. So, for example. West Palm Beach, or I don't know if it's all of Palm Beach County, gets its water from Lake Okeechobee mainly. And Orlando, I understand, is getting its water from several water management districts. Is that correct? Uh, Not quite, but that's close. Um, West Palm Beach um, has a surface water supply that uh, does derive some of its water from uh, the lake, uh, but it's also from... uh, the Loxahatchee and, and those places. So there's a there's a large water storage area west of West Palm Beach that provides uh, some of the water to the city. But the majority of the cities in Florida are dependent on groundwater. There's only a few large uh, surface water supplies in the state. Orlando derives all of its drinking water, all of its potable water, all of its water in the city uh, from groundwater, from the Florida Aquifer, as a matter of fact. Um, it is a very large um, withdrawal of water, 200 billion gallons a day on average is being pulled out of the Florida aquifer just for Orlando. And in addition to withdrawing water from the aquifers, many people are also putting stuff back into the aquifer, perhaps inadvertently, such as fertilizers. Would you tell us about that? Certainly, yeah. The the, the issues faced by our beautiful springs of Florida are uh, varied, uh, but the two biggest are the fact that we're reducing their flows. Uh, the second is that we're polluting the water uh, that flows out of our springs, and that's a that's an issue for humans <laughs> because uh, the pollutants that we're putting into the water, primarily a form of nitrogen called nitrate nitrogen, uh, it comes from fertilizer and from our wastewaters is toxic to humans as well. Uh, it causes diseases, um, um, acute uh, toxicity uh, to babies and old people that are sensitive to high nitrate levels called methemoglobinemia, which is a inability of the blood to carry oxygen. Uh, it's called blue baby syndrome uh, at high enough nitrate levels, which we actually have in many areas of Florida. And um, and at lower levels, it causes chronic 
toxicity to humans in the form of cancer and birth defects. Um, and that is less or more difficult to prove, but all the research from where epidemiological studies have been done show that there's an increased, significantly increased risk of cancer, even at much lower levels of nitrate that are very broadly uh, present in the aquifer water that we're drinking. Florida aquifer is um, broadly contaminated now with uh, nitrogen, primarily from fertilizer, but also from wastewater. And the biggest sources are agricultural fertilizer use uh, in the hundreds of millions of pounds a year of nitrogen are applied on soils. A small fraction of that gets to the groundwater, but it's enough to raise the levels to um, concentrations that are very harmful to the springs and uh, probably uh, very harmful to humans, but at a long-term chronic effect. And this is reflected in the springs themselves, right? Someone has raided the state of the springs recently would you tell us about that uh yes actually we uh, um, uh, prepared a florida springs conservation plan two years ago uh that we we uh, selected the springs that had adequate data it was 32 springs we call sentinel springs and uh and ranked those and basically graded them uh, a b c d and f um, to um you know, give uh, just a snapshot of what's happening to the springs. Well, uh, half the springs were below a D, a, a D plus, and uh, and only a few of them were at the A level. And some of our biggest springs, like Rainbow and Silver, are received an F uh, in grade. And that, those grades were based on the loss of flow, the increase in nitrogen pollution, and uh, the salinity, um, there's increasing salt in our groundwater as well. As we pump um, harder and harder on the Florida aquifer, we uh, actually have the ability to pull up salt water that's underneath the aquifer uh, into the aquifer and, and raise the salt level, uh, which, of course, ultimately makes the water non-potable. There's a lot of talk about sea level rise and its effect on our groundwater supply that the sea I'm sorry that the salt water is going to reach the groundwater supply or maybe that it's already happening have you seen evidence of that yes um, the springs are that we call them sentinel springs because they're like the canaries in the coal mine they are giving us warnings that we might the general public might not otherwise see or, or take seriously uh, because our groundwater is out of sight. And it's out of sight, then it's out of mind. In fact, most people in the state of Florida don't know where their water comes from. But, yes, um, we are definitely seeing saltwater intrusion in Florida. We have been since the, at least the 1950s when it was first noted down in the Miami area. Uh, and then by the 70s, it was really getting bad in the Tampa area. Uh, and Jacksonville has it, and uh, so all the all the coastal communities have it, have saltwater intrusion to some extent, and they're having to uh, add either go to a, a fresher groundwater supply, usually by moving further inland in the state, or uh, add costly treatment to the water to remove the salt through distillation or reverse osmosis, it's called. Um, for example, Orlando uh, pumps Florida Knock for water, and they, um, they there's a limit on how much water they can pump uh, that the state has, the water management districts have put on them, and they've urged them to go to the deeper part of the aquifer. Well, the, the fresh water in the Florida aquifer is like a bubble floating on top of the salt water in the aquifer, and so the whole deeper part of the aquifer, you know, over in some places and coastal areas, very shallow, uh, and then as you move inland deeper, up to a, a thousand feet or more, um, is salt water. It's real salt water. It's from the last time Florida was under the ocean, which was, you know, a million years ago. But it's, it, there's salt water in the aquifer. And, um, there, uh, those cities like Orlando are having to add more and more costly treatment to the water or move well fields further inland, uh, to get away from the salt. But it turns out, 
that just across the board in the springs have, are telling us that salt levels are rising. And um, so far, no major water supply in the interior of the state has had to be shut down, but coastal water supplies have had to be shut down completely and, and new wells found because of saltwater intrusion. And, and that will continue to occur on a greater and greater level as we pump more and more water from these aquifers. As the farmland in southern Florida is sold off increasingly for development, I just read a couple of days ago that some of the land in Homestead near the military base, a Navy base, I can't remember, is being set aside for development or is being eyed for development, and that in many places was farmland, and some of the same is happening or has been happening in Palm Beach County where the land that had been set aside is being sold for development. The state is going to need to rely increasingly on other parts of the state for food production. Have you looked at what the impact of that is going to be on the springs and the aquifer? Uh, well, we have um, indirectly or directly, depending on what part of the state you're in, we've um, done a, a pretty detailed analysis of the agricultural production in North Florida. Uh, and there, North Florida is a very agricultural area, um, but a significant amount of that produce or crops that are uh, developed in North Florida are exported out of the state, like a third at least. Uh, so it's not like Florida is dependent on that agricultural production. Um, so we we make a lot of corn, milk. Uh, we do vegetables too, but uh, most of the vegetables in Florida are grown in South Florida where you are. And, and I would expect, which I haven't done the analysis, but I expect a lot of that, um, and certainly the citrus crop, is exported outside the state. Um, but there's no doubt that in parts of the state, uh, Urban development is overrunning agricultural lands and is changing the overall balance of, of water use and uh, coverage and loss of natural plant communities and animal communities and things like that as that's occurring. Uh, I've uh, recently written a book that is not published yet but will be shortly called Saving Florida Springs, and it really looks at what uh, the specific actions that need to be taken to recover the springs. And uh, in North Florida, uh, the change, the biggest change in water use is actually agricultural water use. Um, agriculture using more and more water for irrigation in North Florida, uh, in the springs country where the, where the aquifer is fresh. Um, and, and less so in South Florida because you have, I think, more reliable seasonal rains in South Florida. But uh, irrigation is really a big issue in North Florida with large center pivot irrigation systems. Just look on Google Earth and it'll blow your mind around the Suwannee River how many of these uh, center pivots you can see on the, on the Google Earth. Um, they, they withdraw, each one of those may withdraw as much water as Nestle is going to withdraw for their permit. And there's thousands of them, thousands, and there's thousands uh, down all the way down uh, through Polk County and areas in the southwest Florida Water Management District and the St. John's River Water Management District. And in fact, there's about 30,000 large water withdrawal permits that have been issued by these the four water management districts that cover the Springs region of the state, about 30,000 of these large permits, averaging over between 100 and 200,000 gallons a day. Um, well, when, when those areas urbanize, uh, actually, the intensity of water use goes down. Um, and so from the standpoint of water consumption, it doesn't have to go up. And and the other thing that my book is about is that by going to a different supply of water, uh, we can reduce the groundwater pumping really with very little problem uh, and still have agriculture in North Florida and South Florida is just stop the irrigation and go with crops that uh, are fine without extra rain. I mean, um, it rains in North Florida. It rains 52 inches a year up here. 
uh, and uh, that's the kind of thing we can do in urban areas too. But we've been because groundwater is ubiquitous because the Florida aquifer is all interconnected. It's like a giant uh, water tank underground uh, that you could put a well anywhere in North Florida. Everybody's been using it. Uh, and it's not the best source of water for irrigating plants and agriculture. The rain is the best source of water uh, for those purposes. And in some places, just shouldn't be farmed for intensive agriculture because the soil is so poor that it doesn't hold water. Um, so I think that um, the urbanization of Florida and the, the movement of people from South Florida up to North Florida, which is occurring, um, is not the end of the springs, what is the, what's killing the springs is the excessive wasteful uses of groundwater. We should be saving the groundwater as our most protected water supply and using it for potable supply, and we should be using rainwater for other uh, water uses that we have, including agriculture, our lawns. Uh, we should have cisterns uh, like uh, most tropical uh, climates have. We should be storing water and using it from rain uh, instead of letting it run off without being reused uh, for our uses. Do you have any data, any statistics on the number of new arrivals into North Florida, be it from central and southern Florida or from other states? Um, well, we know there's about a 1,000 people a day coming into Florida from outside the state. In terms of the, uh, I, don't, I forget what they call it, the uh, migration from South Florida to North Florida, I don't have numbers, but I am surrounded by anecdotes of people that I'm uh, dealing with, working with, uh, kayaking with, that have moved up recently from South Florida. A number of them, people on my board at the Florida Springs Institute moved up here because of the springs and to get away from the urbanization in South Florida. So uh, I know it's occurring, uh, but I don't know how much is, of that's in-state. But people are moving down from out-of-state, too, um, not just to South Florida, but to North Florida, for partly because they know that South Florida has um, sea level rise issues, you know, climate change issues that are much more pronounced than North Florida. For listeners who are sitting at their in their office or pondering the meaning of this in their lives. What does this mean for them on a personal level? What does this mean for them from a business perspective? Does this have the potential to affect the, their quality of life? And that's sort of what we all distill things to, to its very essence. Well, what does this mean to me? Why should Floridians care about the issues that we're talking about? Uh, well, I, that's a, a broad question. Uh, it turns out that uh, water is essential to life, to human life, to all life. Uh, humans need about a gallon of water a day to survive comfortably. Uh, they can live on 30 gallons a day very comfortably, bathing and cooking and all the other normal inside uses of water, uh, 30 or 40 gallons a day per person. Um, and there isn't enough water in some parts of the world to supply everybody. Well, we don't want Florida to be like that. Florida is very rich in water. We get uh, not just the um, flow out of our springs, but we get many, many billions of gallons of water a day from the rain. Um, but that water, all of that water serves a purpose, and about uh, two-thirds of it, three-fourths of it almost, uh, 70%, um, evaporates uh, because that is our cooling system in Florida. Florida would be a desert if we didn't have the rain. We're at the desert latitude. The rest of the world and continental areas that are at 30 degrees where we are in North Florida is a desert, and South Florida would be a desert too if we didn't have the rain. Well, the rain keeps us from being a desert, and that evaporation is the way the rain does that, that the plants use it and keeps them alive. Well, we all need water, but we don't need as much as we're using right now. The average use of water in Florida is about 150 gallons per day per person. 
And like I said, people can live very comfortably with 30 or 40 gallons a day, and they really only need one gallon a day. Uh, so when Florida had, you know, a, a population of a million people, uh, it was nobody would have ever thought that there wasn't enough water. Well, the 20 million people were seeing that because um, during dry years, we get a lot less water, almost a little more than half of what we get in, in an average year. Uh, we don't have as much water recharging all of these aquifers. And so uh, aquifers all around the state are being threatened to some extent by um, the current amount of development we have in Florida. And it's just it's just going to get worse if we move forward without being smart about water. And the smartest thing we can do is to protect our groundwater. The groundwater is the most pristine, protected source of water that we have for people in Florida. And that's also the most available source where you can put a well almost any place in the state and derive enough water for a family and for a property. And so if we want to continue to uh, prosper from uh, a, a reasonable amount of development in Florida, we should protect the, the aquifers of the state more than anything else. And the best way to do that is to... Um, First of all, not give the groundwater away for free. Uh, everybody should have to pay for it. Uh, and I'm not talking about people in cities already are paying for it, but they're not paying for the water. They're paying to have the city pump the water to them. Uh, but the cities should be, everybody needs to be paying for the water because right now whoever takes the most gets it for free and, and there's no recourse to them, but it hurts everybody else. It's the tragedy of the commons. So... I've known business businessmen, uh, prominent businessmen in Jacksonville that recognize these problems and, and recognize that this is really a doomed scenario for Florida to allow um, industry and businesses to uh, pump as much water as they want without um, any impact um, because it's a finite resource. So uh, we're talking about really mortgaging the future of uh, business and, and people in Florida if we uh, continue down the road that we're on right now. And once again, the springs, which are my main concern, um, I'm concerned about people too, but I'm, I'm, I have kids and grandkids. Uh, but the springs are highly vulnerable and they're, they're representing what we're doing to the whole state of the environment and throughout Florida and in other parts of the United States as well. And some people might argue that the best solution is to restrict growth. Is that a possibility? Is that would, would that be a solution? Well, I, I think that we've always done that to some extent. I mean, we have uh, various things that disincentivize growth in Florida, but uh, it's not a very popular sentiment to restrict growth. I think what we haven't done is restricted consumption, and we need to restrict consumption of things that are publicly owned, like the air. <laughs> we can't we can't let certain industries just pollute the air uh, at, without any uh, um, control. Uh, we can't let people pollute the water without control. So the things that are important to restrict are just our um, our waste and our consumption. We can hold a lot more people in Florida if those people consume less, consume less of the natural environment, in this case, the groundwater that feeds the springs. Um, but, you know, it may be a decision to allow even more people in, and uh, that, that's, that should be a public decision. But uh, any wise manager of a resource knows that there have to be has to be a cap on excessive use, and that's what we should be dealing with in Florida right now. Is we should be uh, we should cap the total groundwater consumption in the state at a level that not only provides enough to humans, but provides enough to maintain our natural environments in the foreseeable future. Uh, and then we should put a price on water that reflects its actual value. Water is. You know, it sells for the same price as gasoline when you buy it in a bottle, <laughs> and yet uh, the companies get it for free. I mean, and and they 
sell it for a thousand or more than a thousand times more than what they pay for the water uh, through pumping it. Water's water's really the most valuable thing to life, and it needs to be if if humans aren't going to deplete it, uh, it needs to be controlled better. So who would be in charge of that management that you're describing? The water management districts were set up specifically for that purpose. But that doesn't seem to be working very well. They were operating, yeah, well, they were operating quite well until the last 20 years or so. And um, they were, they had their scientists um, evaluating how much water was being used, how much was needed, uh, if permits should be reduced. Um, And that has gone away really in the last 20 years. And political science, this is my opinion, a political science has taken the place of actual science. Uh, politics have taken two very strong role in our environmental agencies, including our water management districts and our Department of Environmental Protection and our uh, Department of, the, of uh, the Community Affairs uh, Department and things like that. Uh, the politics have taken over, and politics are are about money, and uh, unfortunately, the environment doesn't have money <laughs> and can't resist, uh, and people don't have enough money to resist the, the power that business frequently has. But this is short-sighted, and short-sighted gain for a small number of people and businesses uh, at the expense of a very large number of people. What can the average person listening to this becoming aware if they weren't aware of the issues and their impact on our state, our future quality of life. What can they do? How can they influence this process or can they, how can they weigh in? Is it possible? Well, everybody can do something and uh, some people can do more than others. Um, Everybody should be very conscious of the water they use because it's from a finite source, wherever they get it from. Uh, they should be conscious of that. And, of course, if everybody pulled together in one direction, uh, we could solve a lot of our problems easily. In fact, about a fourth of the groundwater that we pump in Florida is being used on for outside irrigation. So anybody that's using groundwater for irrigating their outside uh, is contributing to a very large part of the reduction in spring flows and um, and just groundwater availability. Uh, so that's something that almost any homeowner can take care of. Um, they can capture rainwater and rain barrels. Uh, they can have a cistern built. Uh, they can use their pool as a cistern and um, and irrigate. If they have to have landscaping that is water-hungry, then they should be using rainwater for that. So everybody can do that. And then fertilizer is highly variable in terms of how it gets into the groundwater. Um, in some areas of the state, the groundwater is very protected under layers of clay, but in, in North Florida, much of it is this karst area where it's just sand over over the limestone, and the fertilizer, nitrogen, travels to the aquifer very easy. So, But everybody should use less fertilizer, and uh, that's part of changing landscaping. In North Florida, we encourage springs-friendly yards, which basically say no irrigation with groundwater and no fertilizer use, or if you're going to use fertilizer, only for gardens and, you know, for plantings and things like that. Where can our listeners get more information if they want to learn more about the subject or in greater depth, if they want to follow some of your suggestions? Are there some resources that you suggest um, well, yes. I mean, there are a number of resources now, obviously, but the Florida Springs Institute is really the clearinghouse for information about springs in the state. The Florida Department of Environmental Protection also uh, has a website uh, related to springs, um, and the water management districts all have information about springs as well. Uh, but in terms of an organization, we're a private nonprofit uh, receiving no funding from the state of Florida, uh, I would say that our, our science is not tainted, tainted by the politics um, to the extent that other um, agencies may have. Uh, so that 
that, that's obviously a source of data. But then there are environmental groups throughout Florida, Florida Defenders of the Environment, the um, Thousand Friends of Florida, uh, Audubon, Nature Conservancy. All these organizations have an emphasis to some extent on on springs and groundwater, the importance of these, and they all have published information related to these issues. Do you have a conflict of interest disclosure to make? No, not at all. Meaning, are you receiving consulting fees or being paid for by any for-profit or non-profit organizations? Do you stand to gain from lobbying in favor of the springs and the environment? Uh, only from private donors uh, who care about the springs. Uh, now, our our funding is from foundations, grants from foundations, and from private donations, all of it. Bob, thank you for joining us from High Springs, Florida. Uh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. And to our audience, you have been listening to Robert Knight, Ph.D., who is director of the Howard T. Odom Florida Springs Institute, who discussed impacts to Florida Springs due to groundwater withdrawals. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com. 